Welcome to another edition of Inside the Economy. I'm Larry Howes. Thanks for joining me. This episode, I want to talk about U.S. manufacturing and what you might be reading in the media about how manufacturing is slowing versus non-manufacturing, which is not slowing. Yes, the Fed is very likely to lower rates another quarter point here in the next couple of weeks here in September. And to answer several questions, China is not the reason for global slowdown, and I'll just hit on that at the end. Quick look at the numbers. Second estimate for second quarter GDP come down a little bit from 2.1 to 2.0. It's okay. The issue here is the ISM numbers, that's the Institute of Supply Management, which keeps track of manufacturing and non-manufacturing. It has dropped below the magic 50, 49.1. It has done that three times in this recovery. I got a graph here in a minute. The point is the manufacturing sector is an issue. It is 12% of US GDP and 9% of payroll. It gets most of the analysis, most of the review, most of the discussion. It just isn't the big game in town non-manufacturing, services, and consumer spending is the big game in town. The rest of the numbers, they're okay. Oil's not going anywhere. The euro only buys $1.10 now and coming down. Here we are. This is the ISM numbers. The blue is the non-manufacturing. That's the service side of things, which is doing very well up in the low 50s. The red, the manufacturing, as you see, has dropped below the magic line of 50 several times in the last decade. It does that. Manufacturing slows, the impact of Boeing, a number of things. It's not trade issues with China. You know where that is on the food chain as far as the consumer is concerned. Here we are. The disposable income of the U.S. consumer right now is about $16.5 trillion. Pretty good number. They're out buying things. Spending is okay. Personal outlays, 15.2. It's a good number. The difference there basically is the savings rate. For the most part, if they have disposable income and they don't spend it, they're saving it. There's the logic. Those numbers look pretty good. The U.S. consumer is in pretty good shape. I don't see that changing in the near future. Jobs are better. Here's how the graph looks for people who were part-time due to economic reasons. That's pretty much over. If they wanted a job, they've got a job. There's more people coming into the workforce, adding to the labor participation rate. Jobs are pretty good. Amazon announced they're looking for another 30,000 people. Don't be surprised. And the employment numbers are going to look real good by the time the year end comes around because they're starting another census. So they're going to hire a whole bunch of people, and that will look good. Should come as no surprise if you look at the blue line, that's basically the S&P 500. It has way outperformed the white line, which is the rest of the world. And the S&P 500 is likely to continue to outperform the rest of the world for the foreseeable future. The U.S. economy is still in better shape. We have positive interest rates. Consumers still spending. The rest of the world really can't say that. That really isn't a function of the trade issues with China either. The stocks that have really done the best, and I'm using, this is the Norwegian Sovereign Fund. 
the largest sovereign fund on earth next to Abu Dhabi. Uh, this is a relatively successful socialist model, whereas they've taken all their oil royalties and saved them. Form a sovereign fund, which right now has just cracked a trillion dollars, and that's how they're going to fund their country for the foreseeable future. But if you look at the names here, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, Facebook, Berkshire Hathaway, you'll wonder why they picked those stocks. Well, they have huge positions in these stocks. Microsoft alone is $85 billion. They count on these for a good return. It's also the rock of the equity side of this hugely important portfolio. Speaking of the success of the U.S. stock market, here is the S&P 500, the pricing of the S&P 500 in blue, and there's earnings down there in red. Prices have got ahead. They have exceeded where they really ought to be. And if you look back a little bit, that was the fourth quarter of 2018, just the beginning of 2019, when we had a 20% correction. Well, that's what happens when value gets ahead of earnings. We're due for another one. Don't be surprised if we don't have a 15, 20%er before the end of the year. It's not bad news. Nothing's falling apart. The market is simply going to correct down to where it is based, which is on earnings. That red line of the earnings is a great number. It's got a good slope. Most of the rest of the world would be in wonderful shape if they had that kind of growth. I think that'll continue, though the rate of growth will slow. On the real estate side of things and how the rest of the world is using the United States, this is kind of a hard slide to read, but the red are institutional real estate sales. And the kind of purple are the buys. First time in five years, the sells have very slightly increased over the buys. Generally, it's always more buys than sells. It's not that the world is losing confidence in the U.S. real estate market. Quite the contrary. They continue to buy in frequently 10 20, 30 billion dollars a quarter. They sold a little more, and you look at the sellers, they were almost all Europeans, some in Spain, throughout Europe. They had a great return built in on these properties because the dollar continues to get stronger. If you own an asset in a currency that's stronger than yours, when you sell that asset, a stronger currency buys more of your weaker currency, so the return you get in your weaker currency is automatically higher. So a lot of these people have made a bundle in U.S. real estate, even though prices outside of a few specific areas haven't been exploding, but it's a currency exchange. That's why the sells. We're going to see more of that. It has no impact on anybody except for those that bought the properties that these people sold. And they'll wait around for an opportunity to sell them again. To run through the issue of why the globe is slowing, and it's not a trade issue, the issue is debt. These are ODEC nations, which is just about everybody. You'll notice China is not on there. They're really not a developed economy. But everybody else here, including Colombia, Russia, have consumer debt, reportable consumer debt and reliable numbers. And this is the percentage of debt that these countries have compared to their disposable income. 
It's a weird formula, but very important. If you look closely, the United States is right there in the middle. Over there on the right is the rest of Europe. The highest debt to net income is in Denmark. And you wonder why they have negative mortgage rates, even though those rates aren't actually negative if you look at all the fees. But mortgage rates in Denmark aren't low. They're in negative numbers. They're trying to generate a little activity. There's a lot of debt in the households in Denmark, Norway, Australia, Switzerland, Canada, UK, Ireland, New Zealand, Australia. Very important consumers. They've been buying stuff the last 10 or 15 years during the boom of China when they produced a lot of inexpensive consumer goods and they bought them. Well, now they have a lot of debt and those people will pay it back. Once you have consumers like this, not looking for new things to buy, but more focused on paying their debt back, you're not going to have a lot of growth. That's where we're going. It's not a trade issue. It is a debt issue. There's a lot of it out there. You just saw a little while ago, U.S. consumers got about $16 trillion in household debt. That's loans, boats, cars, that kind of stuff. Well, it's not a lot of money when your disposable income is $15.2 trillion every year. That's why the United States is right there in the middle. We're at about 100% household debt to disposable income. Everybody else, everybody I mentioned, they're way over. Denmark's about 320%. Everybody on the other side, at the very bottom, imagine the four or five countries that have the least amount of household debt compared to their disposable income. Well, it's Russia, Colombia, Latvia, like that. Not that they aren't nice people, but they aren't very positive consumers either. The ones that do count, Europe, Scandinavia, and of course the United States, right in the middle. The only consumer that's actually outspending and helping the economy is the U.S. consumer. Everybody else, they're going to pay debt. Slow growth is the new norm. It is what we're going to see going forward. Don't anticipate that the Fed lowering interest rates is going to get GDP back to three, four. No, it's not. We're going to be down here low for a while. GDP in the fourth quarter of 2019, today I'd tell you it'd be one and a half, maybe a little less. Again, that's not bad news. That's just the way it is. So don't worry about all the media about trade. It's about people paying their debt back. All right. Well, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. As usual, if you have any questions, send them along to me at info at shwj.com. Be happy to get back to you. Thanks for joining me.